This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. I'm Sean Duffy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. I'm Dave Anthony. It's primary day in Michigan, with another big Trump victory expected, which would put the former president a little closer to the Republican nomination. There is not a single American who is going to change their mind about Donald Trump between now and November. People who love him are going to continue to love him no matter what he does. And people who hate him are going to continue to hate him. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. States try to take social media matters into their own hands, but will judges or even state governors like their efforts or block them? My two and our sponsors' main two goals is to make it effective and also make it constitutional. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's the next exit on the road to the White House. Michigan's coming up. We're doing great. The auto workers are going to be with us 100 percent because they got sold out by this country. That's a confident former President Trump after winning South Carolina's primary Saturday night. I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Never been like this. Nikki Haley could not disagree more. If you have a candidate who can't bring in independence. If you have a candidate that is driving people out of our party, then that is a sinking ship. That was Haley in Michigan the day before the primary today. She's vowed to stay in the race, win or lose, with Super Tuesday a week away. Based on all the polling we've seen today, um, it does seem as though Donald Trump is well positioned for today's primary results in Michigan. Arnon Michigan is director of the Fox News Decision Desk. But even if he is not, the reality is the way that the rules are set in Michigan, um, only 16 delegates are awarded today based on today. Then there are a number of congressional district conventions where another 39 delegates are awarded. So, so Donald Trump saying- is as a real advantage. The rules are set by, you know, by the Republican Party that he controls in that state. And it's it's very much to okay. his advantage. So this... This is like Nevada, sort of, right? Because Nevada That's was right. confusing. But in this case, he could win the primary and the caucuses, essentially, yes. to get all the 55 delegates up for grabs, right? Yes, okay. easily. So the polls have Nikki Haley way back in Michigan. She was there Monday again with another rally. She was there on Sunday. Does she have a chance to do as well, get up to the 40% area that she got in New Hampshire and also in South Carolina or not? I don't know if she'll do quite as well as she did in South Carolina, but the reality is that the, the, the today's Republican Party has two components. There is a very large component, it's about two-thirds that we, we've seen in the first three big primaries, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Two-thirds are what call themselves MAGA Republicans. Yeah. There's another third that is non-MAGA. And if you look at the results in all, all primaries to date, Donald Trump gets 90% of the MAGA vote 
and someone else gets 90% of the yeah. non-MAGA vote. Yeah, and so she is the non-MAGA girl right, right now. Right, right. But non-MAGA is almost always anti-Trump. Is that fair to say? Yes. But there are people who, who basically think, I don't really like the guy, but I like what he did. His policy. I like his policies. Exactly. I mean, in fact, that's a mantra that I hear from a lot of Republicans across the board. After Michigan, we have Super Tuesday. 16 states up for grabs. A majority of them have the ability for independence, right? The two also yes. vote in the Republican primary. So that's key for her. Is there a state that she could possibly win out of those? Not of the 50 states in the right now, <laughs> I would have to say. So no, no, no. no do I, I, if you're asking me, do I see a way for her to get the nomination? The answer is no. Not even one state. I can't imagine a state based on what I've seen. I mean, I could be wrong. But the, my point is, she's not going to get the nomination, but she does have an opportunity to do what Bernie Sanders did in 2016, which is say, I am the leader of an important wing of this party and you must listen to me. Okay, so what does she want? I, I suspect when she look, you know, looks at herself in the mirror and, and she th sees that at least the 2028 presidential candidate of the Republican Party, I do think she sees that. I think there's an avenue that she gets, she can get there. She may, she says she doesn't want to be vice president, but I have yet to see someone turn down the offer of the vice presidency. Okay, I want you to hear what Nikki Haley had to say about that very thing on Sunday. Fox Business Network's Grady Trimble caught up with her when she was in Michigan, talked about what's next for her after Super Tuesday. I don't want vice president. I have said multiple times I'm not I am a Republican. I am not running as any other party or independent. And I will continue to say this is not about my political career. This is about the future of America. Will this you is ever run? Will you ever run as a third party candidate? I've though? said no over and over again. I have no interest in a third party candidacy. Do you believe her? Do you think no labels could sway her if they wanted her? I actually tend to believe that she doesn't want to be a no-labels candidate because the reality is whoever is the, the no-labels nominee, if there is one, um, is not going to wind up in the White House. And whichever party they're originally from is going to be persona non grata in that mm -hmm. party. And, and I think she sees that she represents a solid view of a solid group of Republicans, and she wants to keep that and make that her base for a, her future presidential nomination. She's not even 50 years old. It's not like he doesn't like Nikki Haley. He's a, he, for, the, for a long time, he said nice things about her. He made her the U.S. ambassador of the U.N. And they work pretty well together. And all these people who say that, you know, he calls her bird brain and all the rest. Right. Donald Trump is nothing if not one of the shrewdest men in American politics. And if he thought that Nikki Haley could up get him the White House, he would spin faster than an atomic particle and decide to make her the VP. Democrats are also voting today in Michigan. President Biden expected to win that primary big with only one challenger still in the race, Dean Phillips. But there is another option on the ballot today. And Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is urging her fellow Democrats to choose that over President Biden. She's been adamantly pro-Palestinian in the war in Gaza, angry over the president's support for Israel. Right now, we feel completely neglected and just unseen by our government. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted. Will a lot of progressive Michigan Democrats do that? I do think that, that you're going to see a significant number, but don't, a, don't ask me to put a number against the word significant. <laughs> Are we talking double digits? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll tell you this. In New Hampshire, 
in our poll of Democratic primary voters, 50% said they opposed President Biden's policies in Gaza and, and with Israel and the Palestine, Hamas. And that's a big number, 50%. And, and, and you see it particularly with young people or more progressive people. And, and so I see that, you know, it is an easy reason to go to the polls and say, I don't like what you're doing in Israel and the, Pal- and the Palestinian territories. Right, because he's going to win anyway. Yeah. So you're just doing a protest vote that's not really affecting his victory in the state. But beyond just that vote, does it affect him in that policy on the war? Ask me in a few months. <laughs> because I'm a, I am of the belief that whatever's going on in Israel right now, it's going to be a really different situation in four or five months. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see the war going on that long. I see the U.S. as being able to play some kind of role in developing a process of reconstruction, which I think the progressives on the Democratic side could buy into. Now, the question also is on Ukraine. That's another big sticking point for President Biden. He continues to push for new U.S. military aid. It's hung up in the House. We don't know what that's going to be like in October. We do not at all. And and I believe that could be very detrimental to President Biden, important for President Trump. If Ukraine is a stalemate, Donald Trump will be able to go to town on saying we have wasted... I don't know how many billions of dollars, and we've gotten nowhere. It's a waste of money. And if Joe Biden doesn't have something to say, no, 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 we didn't waste our money. This is what we got. You know, we have a Mm -hmm. dictator on his heels. That will be to Biden's advantage. So I think even though no one ever votes on foreign policy, I see Ukraine as being the avenue to either be Joe Biden's Achilles heel or make people say, you know, this old guy knows what he's doing. (laughs) But on a bigger Achilles heel could be the border. Because if the situation at the border is what it's been, say, in December, with record numbers of people crossing illegally, if that's still the case in the fall, that will be an even bigger issue for the president to defend. Absolutely. And I think that that's why the Democrats were ready to make some sort of deal um, way further than I ever anticipated they'd be willing to go on the border, on their deal. Um, I'm not saying it becomes a winner for Joe Biden, but I do think it's it's not as effective as it could have been uh, for the Republicans. Look, the guy is 81 years old. The guy looks 81 years old and he walks 81 years old. Um, And so if he if he has a stumble, that is going to be very, very harmful. I think to him, um, if he doesn't do, if he looks really old in the debates, that's if there not are debates, be up to do you think he'll debate? I think he should. I think what he should say is, we have a commission on debates. Um, I will, have, you know, this party has always obeyed the commission, and it's un-American not to obey the commission. And so we're going to work with the commission and uh, on a set of debates. Well, because you'd think that obviously former President Trump wants to be there because he thinks he can probably mop up the floor with a guy who he constantly says doesn't even know where he is. Do you think that he might be overconfident going into a debate? I think it's never good to be to make people think you're overconfident because one of the things about the age issue, look, it could really he could have a stumble and and hurt him dramatically. But uh, the silver lining is everyone in America is going to look at those debates and think. Oh, the senile one is coming, if, <laughs> and if he's at all compass mentis, it's sort of like, oh, wow, he's compass mentis. Oh, that, people will say that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's a term most people don't even know. I love it. Also, getting back into the polling, I know you wrote something that's on uh, the Fox.com site. 
And that is that there's a number that continues to be almost a ceiling for former President Trump, right? In these poll after poll after poll. And it's not 50%, right? No. No, I, I, I say the number's maybe 47. But, you know, everything we've seen about Donald Trump in, since 2020 has been whenever there's a primary test, he gets his number. Um, yeah. And the, all the undecideds go to the other side. And I think, you know, there is not a single American who is going to change their mind about Donald Trump between now and November. People who love him are going to continue to love him no matter what he does. And people who hate him are going to continue to hate him no matter there what he does. There have to be a few people in the middle still unsure. There are three. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, there You I can mean, share an Uber with them. <laughs> so that brings up third party... We do have Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right? We have Cornell West. We have Jill Stein. Maybe a no-labels ticket. We have more third-party candidates than we have people who are sort (laughs) of undecided. (laughs) Okay. But if former President Trump gets to 47, then those numbers, if they pick off the numbers for President Biden, it's a Trump victory. Yeah. No, my bottom line on this election is Donald Trump cannot win. But Joe Biden can lose. I mean, no one voted for Joe Biden in 2020. A lot of people voted against Donald Trump. Um, And that's what won the election for Joe Biden. We may see a repeat of that. Um, I think it's important for Biden to have a few wins, um, either on the border, the economy, Ukraine or Israel. But even so, there's there are a lot of voters. And we've seen this, that the Democratic voters come out because of Donald Trump. Arnon Mishkin, director of the Fox News Decision Desk, certainly going to be busy between Michigan today and Super Tuesday in a week. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, David. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. Social media rules and bans are having a bit of an uphill climb. After years of congressional hearings about social media restrictions, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar told several big tech CEOs late last month, children are dying as they take pills laced with fentanyl, bought off social media. Children are bullied, depressed, developing eating disorders, or committing suicide after being on the receiving end of a sextortion scheme. Because there's been so much talk at these hearings and popcorn throwing and the like, and I just want to get this stuff done. I'm so tired of this. It's been 20 28 years, what, since the internet, we haven't passed any of these bills because everyone's double talk, double talk. It's time to actually pass them. And the reason they haven't passed is because of the power of your company. So let's be really, really clear about that. But as she stated there, none of the bills has passed. States are now taking matters into their own hands. But Ohio's bill that would require those under 16 to get parental consent to open a social media account was blocked by a federal judge. 
And now a Republican proposal in Florida has some pushback from the state's own Republican governor, Ron DeSantis. Now you can say it's it's disfavored or, or, or not allowed for 1415, but a parent you know, has the right to opt in. He hadn't yet said last week if he'd sign a bill that would ban certain social media accounts for those under 16 years of age. A parent can supervise a, a, a kid to use it more sparingly. And so we can't say 100% of the uses are bad because it's not. And I'm a critic of social media, but I have to look at this from a parent's perspective. But he says they're now wrestling with this bill, which has widespread Republican support in the state. Some people have commented that we're banning social media platforms for those under 16. Not quite true. Paul Renner is Florida's Republican House Speaker. What we're focused on is particularly addictive technology that is employed by some of the more popular platforms, which include a personalized algorithm that serves up uh, content, curated content to your child, tracks your child's data, you know, advertises to them uh, is one uh, requirement. You, the platform also to be included in the bill has to have one or more of the addictive features like the infinite scroll and autoplay and things that, that uh, designers have used that they know will keep kids on the platform for longer than they otherwise would. And then finally, uh, the platform also has to be able to upload and download uh, content. So content from you, content from other users. Mm. Um, This would be a circumstance where a child could receive inappropriate material or post inappropriate material without their parents knowing about it. All of those things have to be true. And if all of them aren't true, then the platform is not included in the bill. And I think that's important because we have narrowly structured this and made changes throughout the process. We had some exemptions in the bill that that um, we we removed that were kind of contenty. It's really just a focus on addictive and um, addictive technology, technology that they know, the designers know, will keep kids and all of us really online longer and longer, which, of course, uh, is monetized. And so we don't believe that our children should be monetized with addictive technology. And we also know that even at two hours a day, um, there are some mental health challenges. At three hours a day, your Surgeon General says you're twice as likely to, to uh, suffer depression. And on and on it goes all the way through mental harm, mental uh, self-harm and suicide. So it sounds like then um, companies like Facebook or Meta um, and Instagram, uh, as well as like X, formerly known as Twitter, those types of, of social media uh, platforms would apply here. What what would not apply? Well, Pinterest. Um, there was a nice op-ed from the new CEO who said, look, we see that this is harmful to kids and, uh, and we're not going to do it because even though it means we have more eyeballs on screens, it means more money for us. We see the harm to children and we're not going to harm children. Um, I don't know, to be honest with you, Jess, I, I don't know what companies are or not. You know, Pinterest would not be based on his statement, at least. Right. Um, but I, I don't know and I don't need to know. And we've never we've never I've never asked, um, believe it or not. We've just looked and said, if you if you don't do one of those three things, you're out of the bill. Right. And, and then we have another component, too, that's in addition to that, that talks about um, average daily users who use more than two hours a day online. So. You know, at the point that people pull these fact these uh, these technologies off, and it no longer becomes addictive, then we've done what we set out to do, which is a layer, uh, uh, an amount of time online that is not harmful to our kids' well-being, our their mental and emotional well-being. Now, in addition to the mental issues, are the public safety issues, and I have we have all of the uh, law enforcement folks from the 
PBA, the FOP, the police unions, uh, Sheriff's Association for Florida, the uh, prosecuting attorneys, all of them, the chiefs of police, every single law enforcement entity that is opined on it has enthusiastically supported our bill. Why? Because you can talk to people who work in human trafficking who say that most of the problems they see are empowered and start online. So a kid, a 14-year-old girl, you know, meets a 14-year-old, but it's not really a 14-year-old when they get there. It's a 45-year-old. Um, and so the, the stories that I've learned just since I've been running this bill, we've been running this bill, are are so tragic and so bad that we're at a level like smoking, drinking, driving a car that really doesn't qualify for parental consent. Tell me, elaborate a little bit more for me, because you you cite in this Fox News op-ed that, gosh, 57% of high school girls now reporting persistent hopelessness, loneliness, um, 41% reporting monthly mental health challenges, 30% of high school girls have contemplated suicide. And yet, as I'm sure you heard at that Senate hearing with those big tech CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg told the Senate committee that there's no evidence that mental health issues are caused by social media. He used the word correlate, that there may be a correlation. What are you hearing as uh, as you go through this process? Yeah, and I, I we, we did a video kind of comparing a 1994 hearing where uh, the big tobacco folks came up and said tobacco is one by one, said to, nicotine's not addictive. And we know it is. We know by science it is. And I think we're going to look back on this time as a terrible unregulated experiment on an entire generation and it is doing lasting damage uh, to them. So I think, look, the evidence is in, I, I was comforted by some people. I was just at a restaurant, the server there said I'm off of it and, and talked about how just like, dating relationships have been so affected like you can't look each other in the eye you know there's just an inability to have real relationships because you have all these phony relationships these fake friends online so there's all kinds of things about this that are really damaging and kind of rewiring the brains of our younger generation and they just need a little space and time to be kids and if they want to get on platforms when they're older as teenagers or as adults you know so be it I, again i would go to 18 if it were up to me but this is a product of compromise We've tried to compromise and make multiple changes along the way. I think we're in a really, really good spot. We've worked with lawyers uh, to make sure that we have a constitutional product and an effective product, which are my, my two and our sponsors' main two goals is to make it effective and also make it constitutional. Okay, so Governor DeSantis, as you know, has expressed some concern that this may not be helpful enough when it comes to parental choice, that this may just be like an outright overruling of parents. You sort of just referenced that, that actually some parents have expressed to you, uh, I guess, a little, a bit of gratitude on that front, that, that this choice would sort of be taken away from them, much like uh, alcohol or, or other sort of bans on things. But to that point, if parental choice is so important, and we are talking about a product that, as Governor DeSantis put it, does have some upside, right? Like, it's not alcohol, right? It's not letting a 14 or 15-year-old get drunk. It's letting a 14 or 15-year-old be online in a certain capacity, maybe in a way that, you know, many of us might find harmful, but a parent might not. What do you say to that? Yeah. And so one of the things in the bill that's important to know why it's not like a total ban is that it, it focuses on accounts. And so we have their kids today that, that sell things. They start a business at 14, for example, and they're using mom or dad's account um, to do that. You can still do that under this bill. So we're not truly saying under no circumstances can you be on. But the difference there is the parent, it's a parent's account. The algorithm's not, the kid's not all by him or herself um, alone with the algorithms, the addictive features, the loading and uploading of content. The parent 
would see what's coming back. And if there's a bully there online or worse, there's a predator online, the parent could say on their account, wait a minute, who's this? And why are they trying mm-hmm. to communicate with my son or daughter? And so there, there is a little, uh, you know, piece there. But we again said that the harm is so great that to leave a kid defenseless against these algorithms, these addictive features, this, you know, content from strangers is, is just too potentially harmful to allow parental consent in the same way we do with cigarettes, alcohol, marriage, work, getting behind the wheel of a car at age 16. Now, can a 15-year-old, do they have better reflexes and reaction time than I do or other adults? Probably. But that that brain development at under 16 doesn't know, should I speed up or slow down at the yellow light? Can I pull out in front of these cars and get into you know cross traffic to get to make a turn or not? So they don't have the ability, kids don't, to recognize the addiction when it's happening and recognize the harm from the addiction like adults do. We go out and we drink too much and we say, you know what, maybe I, sh- I can't drink that much and feel good the next morning. So we self-regulate. Kids don't have the same capacity at those younger younger uh, ages. And so for all those reasons, leaving them to their own devices without having at least on the parents' platform is simply something that we need to put outside the reach of parental consent so that kids can be kids and parents can be relieved from that pressure of don't make me the kid that's ostracized because everybody else is on social media. One more for you. I know you know that um, some lawmakers in Ohio passed a law that says parents have to give consent to kids under 16 to open a social media account. A federal judge blocked that. Essentially, he said that the law was basically too broad. Why do you feel your rule and your law in Florida is sufficiently different enough from maybe a, a, a rule like the one they proposed in Ohio, given that it's a federal judge that is saying this, this can't fly? Why, why does your rule fly? Yeah, two quick points. One is, you know, when we started with some of the changes we made, we started with looking at some other states and we had some exemptions that felt a little content-like. And of course, you can't regulate content under the First Amendment. So we've not done that. That's one point. And secondly, I think in the Ohio case, and I got briefed on it, I've not had a chance to read the opinion myself, but I was briefed on it that part of the decision was based on this parental opt-in or it had a parental component there. And so again, if you believe there's a vial of poison on the table, you can't give parents the right to give their kid the chance to drink that poison. If that's what you, if you believe it's that harmful in that category of things where we don't give consent and that the court looked at actually that parental rights component as a means of striking it down. So we think the bright line, what we have today is, is the right thing. We, again, we've worked with lawyers who've been litigating cases who are the experts in this area nationally to come up with a product that I think is definitely unique to any other state in the country. Now, can I guarantee you beyond a doubt that some court won't have an issue with it? No, I won't. But what we will get is another look from the courts and some guidance if they do Mm -hmm. strike it down in part where we can say you can't do A, B, and C, but you can do D, E, and F. Florida House Speaker Paul Renner, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Have a great day. I'm Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Kellyanne Workman went missing June 30th, 1989 and was found dead eight days later. But it took until last week for arrests to be made in the 24-year-old's murder. Missouri authorities say someone came forward with information on the crime, leading to the arrest of three men indicted on first-degree murder, forcible rape, and first-degree kidnapping charges. The men were identified as Wiley Belt and brothers Leonard Dwight Banks and Bobby Lee Banks. The three men had all been suspects since the start of the case, and police say whatever information the tipster gave them was the last piece to, quote, slide it all together. Workman was last seen cutting the grass at a rural cemetery in southwestern Missouri 
Her body was found submerged in a creek more than 10 miles away a week later. Officials said that Workman's family is relieved and told law enforcement they never thought this day would come. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? By now, we've all seen the frankly hilarious images of Black George Washington, South Asian popes, along with Gemini AI's stubborn and bizarre inability to depict a white scientist or lawyer. Much like OpenAI's ChatGPT before it, Gemini will gladly generate content heralding the virtues of Black, Hispanic, or Asian people and will decline to do so in regard to white people so as not to perpetuate stereotypes. There are two main reasons why this is occurring. The first flaws in the AI software itself has been much discussed. The second and more intractable problem, that of flaws in the original source material, has not. You see, the engineers at the AI companies such as Google and OpenAI have trained their software to correct or compensate for what they assume is the systemic racism and bigotry that our society is rife with. But the mainly 21st century internet source material AI uses is already correcting for such bias. It is in large part this doubling down that produces the absurd and ludicrous images and answers that Gemini and ChatGPT are being mocked for. For well over a decade, online content creators such as advertisers and news outlets have sought to diversify the subjects of their content in order to redress supposed negative historical stereotypes. It is this very content that AI generators scrub once again for alleged racism, and as a result, All too often, the only option left for the AI to make the content less racist is to erase white people from the results altogether. In its own strange way, generative AI may be proving that American society is actually far less racist than those in positions of power assume. This problem of source material also extends far beyond thorny issues of race, as Christina Pouchon, an aide to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, exposed in two prompts regarding COVID. She first asked Gemini if opening schools spread COVID, and then if BLM rallies spread COVID. Nobody should be surprised to learn that the AI provided evidence of school openings spreading the virus and no evidence that BLM rallies did. But here's the thing. If you went back and aggregated the contemporaneous online news reporting from 2020 and 2021, these are exactly the answers that you would wind up with. News outlets bent over backwards to deny that tens of thousands marching against alleged racism and using public transportation to get there could spread COVID while chomping at the bit to prove in-class learning was deadly. In fact, there was so much abject online censorship of anything questioning the orthodoxies of COVID lockdowns that the historical record upon which AI is built is all but irretrievably corrupted. This is an existential problem for the widespread use of artificial intelligence, especially in areas such as journalism, history, regulation, and even legislation. Because obviously there is no way to train AI to only use sources that tell the truth. 
There's no doubt that in areas such as science and engineering, AI opens up a world of new opportunities. But as far as intellectual pursuits go, we must be very circumspect about the vast flaws that AI introduces into our discourse. For now, at least, generative AI absolutely should not be used to create learning materials for our schools, breaking stories in our newspapers, or be anywhere within a 10,000-mile radius of the government. It turns out the business of interpreting billions of bits of information online to arrive at rational conclusions is still very much a human endeavor. It is still very much a subjective matter, and there is a real possibility that no matter how advanced AI becomes, it always will be. This is David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.